Hebrews chapter 2, the words of verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The grand purpose of God. Tonight then, in looking at these words, I want you to think, first of all, on the persons in the verse. There are a lot of persons in the verse. We want to identify them. And then secondly, we want to focus on the first person in particular that is mentioned in the verse. So first of all then, the persons in the text. The persons can be divided into three groups. For it became him, that's one person, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, that's, that's many other persons, human persons, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. And that's another person called the captain of their salvation. So in the middle, in the center, are these many sons, these many persons. And on the one side is the father, because that's who's referred to with that pronoun him. It became him. That's the father. And then on the other side, there is the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the captain of their salvation. And these two persons are connected to these human persons, these many sons in the center. They're surrounding these sons. There is God the Father, the human persons, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Lord Jesus Christ, he stands connected to both of these persons, these groups before. He's God's Son. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 1. He is at one with the Father. He has a oneness with God. He has the divine nature. He is also connected with the many sons, the many persons. Because he is also son of man. He has human nature. He has a oneness with the Father, but he's also a oneness with the many sons. And you see that, it says in the next verse, for both he that sanctifieth and they are, who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So he has a oneness also with these sons. And a oneness with the Father. He's two natures. He's God and he's man. This captain of our salvation. So those are the, the three the, the, the three groups, the three categories. The Father, the many sons, and the Son of God himself, one with the Father in his divine nature, one with the, son, the sons in his human nature. But let's focus on the first person tonight in the text. I think he's the one who dominates the verse. Not only is he referred to first in the verse, there are several verbs in the verse, and all of those verbs are in connection with him. They're related to him. So it's the Father who is the one who's coming to the fore in the text. It's the Father who is the one who is primary, who is standing out. It became him. It starts with him. Just as the gospel starts with him. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It starts with the father. It became him. So he's the primary person here, as it were, in this verse. Standing out. And we're going to focus on him tonight. We're going to anchor upon him. Now the other persons, of course, we're going to cover as well. We're not going to leave anybody out. We're going to consider them too. But we're going to be considering them in relation to the Father. To him. And there are three things about the Father that we're told in this verse. First of all, we're told about his power. His sovereignty. Because it says, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. So we're told about his power, his sovereignty. And then we're told about his purpose. Because it says here, it became him in bringing many sons unto glory. That's his purpose. To bring these many children unto glory. And then there is his plan in order to that. To bring that purpose to fruition. To fulfill that purpose. And bringing many sons on to glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect. Through suffering. So that's his plan. To fulfill his purpose. And he has the power and the sovereignty to do that. So you see how the father dominates this verse. In some circles. It seems that the father is left out. That he is pushed into the background very often. And why we preach Christ. And we make Christ prominent. And Christ is preeminent in all things. That does not mean that we do it to such an extent. That the father is always pushed back. Always forgotten about. No the Bible will not let us forget about the father. The Bible is always reminding us. It comes from the father. And he's first. It becomes him. It's in his purpose and plan. So we're looking then at these three things in relation to the Father. First of all then, God is sovereign. Verse 10, it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Paul didn't have to say for whom are all things and by whom are all things. I suppose if he was an Arminian, he wouldn't have said it. He doesn't have to say it, but he wants to say it. He feels that he should say it. If he was an Arminian anxious to put into the background the idea of the supreme sovereignty of God, he could have left it out. There are preachers who do leave it out, embarrassed by the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, embarrassed by the doctrine that somehow the Lord rules over all and has a sovereignty and he has decrees and he decrees all things in his will. There are even Christians who have problems with that. I want you to know that that doctrine is not an embarrassment to the apostle. He's preaching a gospel sermon here, but he's not ashamed or embarrassed by the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. All things are of him. All things are for him and to him. He is in complete control. He has an overall plan. So Paul here is teaching the sovereignty of God. He doesn't hold back on that. Even though he is teaching about the need of faith. and You can't be careless in regard to the gospel. You you have to be careful. You can't be negligent. You have to believe. But he also proclaims God's sovereignty. 
And he's right to do so. Because the whole business of salvation started with a sovereign God. And there wouldn't even be one person saved at all if it wasn't for a sovereign God. It begins with him. It's a matter of his will. It's a matter of his eternal decrees. What he has planned and purposed. He has to have a purpose. There's no salvation and there's nobody saved unless he has a purpose and a plan. And Paul is assuring us that he has that. And he's able to have that because he is the sovereign one. He plans everything. Paul is referring here to the decrees of God. He is dealing here not just with sovereignty in a general manner, but he's dealing here with the very matter of predestination itself. The bringing of many sons unto glory. Many to an end. And that's predestination. And it all begins with God. A God for whom are all things and a God by whom are all things. Men and women, there's nothing without God. There is no world without God. There is no life without God. There are no inhabitants of earth There are no inhabitants of heaven without God. Creation, providence, redemption. It's all in God's control. God determines all. All things, it says here. All things. By him, for him. Nothing left out. Now that's as clear a statement on the sovereignty of Almighty God as you can find in the Bible. As we saw on Wednesday night, it is the very first line of the song of the redeemed at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. God reigns. God is the absolute sovereign. He's the omnipotent one. And so that's something God's people need to believe. And and, and they can't be embarrassed by the doctrine. Not even when they're preaching the gospel. The same preacher who says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The same preacher says, For him and by him are all things. So he has no difficulty with the absolute sovereignty of God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And he has decreed all things. Not only decreed all the ends, but he's decreed all the means to the end, which are very important. No, there's an end, but there are the means to the end as well, which are infinite almost. And those he ordains too. All things are by him and for him. All the holy angels, all the fallen angels too, all the redeemed and all the eternally lost, all by him, all for him. To deny this is to deny this verse. To deny the whole biblical teaching on the sovereignty of God. We must never do that. We must believe firmly that the Lord has made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. This people have I formed for myself. The church can never deny this. And the Free Presbyterian Church will not allow its ministers to deny this. 
for we are required to subscribe to the doctrine as it is taught in our creedal standards. And so the church always sings, What things soever pleased the Lord, that in the heaven did he, and in the earth the seas, and all the places deep have been. So what the apostle is saying is that God has, has his plan, his purpose, his eternal decrees. And he has the ability for this, to carry out these decrees, because he's the omnipotent one. He not only has the power, he has the wisdom that becomes him, in his wisdom. He can't be taken by surprise, because he's the God only wise, and he knows all things, he's omniscient. So that's his, his sovereignty. And the apostle very firmly states it. But then he comes to a particular purpose of God. He's not going to open up all God's purposes and all God's plans. All things by him, all things for him. There's infinite purposes and plans in that. But he comes to one specific purpose. And that is the purpose of bringing to glory many sons. He has a purpose to bring to glory many sons. It became him. It was fitting to him. It was pleasing to him. It was according to his will. It became him in bringing many sons unto glory. And I want you to focus on that expression now. Bringing many sons unto glory. That's the purpose of God. That means that God is going to obtain sons somehow. He's going to obtain them from among men. There are no natural sons of God among men. All men are fallen. All men are sinners. All men have the likeness of their fallen father, Adam. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? We're born of Adam by ordinary generation and we're born sinners, shaping in iniquity. Even Christians were by nature the children of wrath, as all others. All men are children of wrath. There are no natural sons. God has no natural sons among men. We are by nature the children of wrath even as others. But it's God's purpose somehow from amongst that mass of corrupt and fallen humanity to obtain many sons. That's his aim. That's his purpose. To purchase children, to obtain children, to adopt children, to get them out of the devil's kingdom. They're prisoners of Satan, you see. They have to be released. And Satan has to be dealt with in order for God to get sons. But not only does Satan have to be dealt with, those sons themselves have to be dealt with because they're rebels, they're Sinners and transgressors against God. And they themselves have to be worked upon and wrought upon by the divine power. So it's, it's not easy for him to get these many sons. It takes a great work. It takes a great plan. But that's the purpose that he has. Somehow to get these many sons into his family. 
And how God does that, that's what the gospel's all about. That's what the gospel teaches us and tells us about. But we're not focusing on all the fine detail. We're just looking at the purpose generally. To obtain these sons somehow. To bring them into his family. To make them legally his sons. In a way of justice and righteousness. So the devil can't say, you can't do that. That's unjust. That's unrighteous. So he has to do it in a way of righteousness. A way of holiness. A way of justice. And also he has to give them the nature of sons. The likeness of the family. He has to do a work in them too. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Paul's talking about the same thing there. But he's using different words. Predestinated unto the adoption of children. God's purpose. And that's according to the good pleasure of his will. And God's going to say to some men, to many, many men, he's going to say, I will be a father unto you and you'll be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So that's a purpose that requires wisdom and power and justice and righteousness to bring about. But there's one special feature of this purpose that really stands out. And that's the grace of it. The kindness of it. The goodness of it. The love in it. This immense goodness that forms such a purpose. Whenever you consider the purpose and how God brought it about and how God brought it to fruition you have to say behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It's his love. That really stands out. That love is seen in where he brings them from. Because these sons came from a real cesspool of iniquity. And some of them were among the worst of mankind. Came from a state of sin and bondage and darkness. A state of condemnation. A state of horrible and wicked malicious enmity against him. And yet he obtained them as his sons. It was only love and grace that done that. Why we were yet enemies, the Bible says, Christ died for us. Why we were yet enemies, God is carrying out this purpose and this plan. And so it's a manifestation of marvelous grace. And then you consider what he brings them into, not only what he brings them from, whenever he brings many sons onto, you have to think about what he's bringing them away from, what he took them out of. And that shows his marvellous grace. But then you think what he's bringing them on to. This, this awful crowd of sinners. He's bringing them on to glory. Paul loves that word glory. You know it's hard to convey what heaven is like. It's hard to tell men what God is bringing them to. The Bible really can't describe it. And it doesn't make a big effort to describe it either because it can't be described. The Bible says, I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So what the Bible does says, well, there's a few things that aren't there, that aren't present, that describe glory. There's no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no sin. There are a lot of things that are absent and that's glory. But it can't really tell us what glory is. And so what, what does the Bible do? Well, it just uses a word, that's all, glory. 
glory. You find this word very often throughout the Bible. Everlasting glory. Wonderful glory. That's what God's bringing these sons to. An unspeakable glory. To a glory beyond description. To a blessed glory. To a pure glory. To a holy glory. To a divine and a heavenly glory. And you can study that word glory. And how the apostle uses it. To describe what sinners are going to. Unto glory. Unspeakable glory. That's what God's doing. Bringing them to that. He said to the Romans that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. He's prepared these vessels. He, in his grace, in his electing grace, aforetime, he's preparing them unto glory. Unto the glory. What is that glory, Paul? I can't tell you. Can't describe what what can isn't describable in human language. Can't be told, it can only be felt and experienced. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, he says, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, unto the glory that He's going to bring us to. Our light affliction, he says, is but a moment. But it's working in us a, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Glory is like a big heavy weight. It's massive. It's, it's full of substance. But it can't be described. It's just a weight of glory. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you appear with him also in glory. In glory. And you're all things for the elect's sake, he told Timothy, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's always using this word. God is bringing us to glory. And then consider too that there are many, many sons unto glory. Now not all men, we can't teach that, if it was his purpose to bring all men unto glory, then God has miserably failed because there are some in hell. God doesn't fail of his purpose and plan. And not all men are brought to glory. That's clear enough because the Bible talks about the resurrection unto life, unto glory, but also the resurrection unto the opposite, to the, to the shame, to the everlasting shame, the everlasting reproach, All that is the opposite of glory. So many are going to that. But we're not speaking about that tonight. We're talking about the many sons that are going on to glory. And I have to emphasize that they are many. They are many. Time and time again the Bible tells us that. You know Christians have got it into their heads somehow. The Christians are those in heaven are just a few. That they're just a handful. It would make a very worthwhile study to to show you from the Bible that, that they're not a handful. They're many. And this is another one of the favorite words of the apostle whenever he's talking about the redeemed. Many. You can study that out. Many. Not a few. He doesn't write that. He never says that. But many. Many. And the Bible is teaching that all the time. 
Remember how God took Abraham out? Come on, Abraham, come on and look. Look up into the stars. They're innumerable, they can't be counted. So shall your seed be. Now, he's not talking about the, the Jews after the flesh. He's talking about glorious stars. He's talking about the glory in Christ. Talking about the many sons in Christ that are going to be brought to glory. Lift up your eyes, Adam, and look. There they are. There they are in the glory. They're many. They're innumerable. Many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Many, the prophet said. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham. So the Lord says they're coming from all over. They're coming from all directions. They're coming from the extremities in the east to the extremities in the west. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. There's many coming. That's what the Bible teaches. Remember Isaiah 53, that wonderful prophecy about the death of Christ. And in the midst of that prophecy we read, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. He doesn't say all. Can't say that. Bible doesn't say that. But it does say that he shall justify many. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Many. The apostles just taking the words of Jesus. The words of the prophets. Many. As we saw in Revelation, a great multitude which no man could number. All nations, all kindreds, all people, tongues, stood before God, before the Lamb. They're clothed with robes and they're singing glory. Of course, many are lost too. We know that. And in our day, the sons seem to be in a minority. The saved seem few to us, but that's just appearances. Congregation, we must always remember that the history of the church is not finished yet. It's not completed yet. There's a lot more to be done. There's a lot more to come in. The best part of church history may yet be before us. And some think that Satan has still to be bound yet. And all the ends of the world are going to remember and turn unto the Lord. And Christ is to ask for the heathen and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession and all nations whom he has made shall come and worship before him. The story's not over yet. Many sons. It has to be noted that there is only one way that they're going to get to glory. There's only one way to heaven. And the only way to heaven, men and women, is in a way of being brought. You have to be brought to glory. You're not going to get there yourself. You're not going to be able to make the journey on your own. You have to be brought. It's not that you decide to make a journey and you get the wisdom and you do the work and you do the labor and you get the merit and all the goodness and you get there yourself. If God doesn't bring us, we'll not be brought to glory. That's the truth of the matter. You don't get there by your will and volition. You get there by the will, the purpose, the volition of Almighty God. That's how. His bringing. 
You have to be brought. Be brought unto glory. And so it's not that men decide to go. It's that God decides to bring. That's the story. That's the reality. And the most important question of all in looking at this, these many, is are, are you among them? Are you in the text? Are you in this story? If we are, we should have special interest in this and have a special joy. And if we are not, or don't know that we are, then we ought to be concerned and anxious and definitely not be negligent about this matter of the great salvation. Thirdly then, is the Father's plan to bring to pass this purpose. The bringing is all of God from start to finish, the Father's purpose. But the Father is not alone in the Godhead. And he never leaves out his Son and his Spirit. All three are part of the plan. Now, the Apostle doesn't deal with the, the leading of the Spirit. He's part of this bringing to you. The sons of God are led by the Spirit. They're brought by the Spirit too. But he's not dealing with that part. He deals with that in Romans and other parts of Scripture. But here he's dealing with the being led by the, by the captain, by the Son of God, by the Savior, the incarnation and death. That's what he's concentrating on. And now the Father's doing it. He's overall, it's his plan and purpose. No man can come to me except the Father draw him. It all comes from the Father. It's all in the Father's plan. It's God the Father who says, I'll say to the north, give up. I'll say to the, the, the south, don't hold back, don't keep back anymore. Bring my sons from afar. It's God the Father that says that. But the Son of God, the second person, is the one who comes into the world to, to lead them there, to bring them there. Because they're not brought without Christ. That's the thing. It's not that the Father sits up there in heaven, has this plan, and he just brings them, just, just as it were, just brings them. No, he, he can't do that. It has to be done in a way of righteousness and justice, and therefore he has to send his Son. His Son has to become man. He has to suffer and die on the cross so that he can bring them. And so the plan is to send Christ. And the Father has appointed a captain to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. I've given him for a witness to the people. I've given him as a leader, he says in Isaiah the prophet. A leader, one to go before, one to lead you, one to bring you. Christ is a bringer. He's the leader. That's why he's called a shepherd. God is leading to glory through Christ. Now, God doesn't do it apart from his son. That's what we're saying tonight. This verse is God's plan. Muslims, they might say, God, God is leading us all to glory. And Hindus might say the same. And Jews also say likewise, God, that's what God is doing. He's, he's bringing us all to glory. But the, the full teaching is that we're only going to glory being led by Jesus Christ, by the Son of God, by the captain of our salvation. There, there's no one else. And it's not easy. To give us this captain. It meant Christ being incarnate. It meant Christ being made a little lower than the angels. It meant Christ veiling his Godhead. 
It meant him suffering and the shame of Calvary and his death on the cross. The one who goes before had to suffer. And as our shepherd, he leads the way. Didn't he say, I go before my sheep and they follow me. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again. I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's bringing us to glory. The incarnate one. The crucified one. The forerunner, as the apostle calls him later on in this epistle. The forerunner who's gone before into glory and who's bringing his people with him. Even the Old Testament scriptures prophesied it. The Lord your God goeth before you. He shall fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt. He's going to go before you. To bring you to a better place than the land of promise in Canaan. He's going to go before you. He's going to fight with Satan. He's going to disarm the devil. He's going to destroy the devil. He's going to bring you out of the house of bondage. And he's going to bring you on to glory. He's going to fight for you. He's going to be the warrior. That's what this man is. He's the warrior. He's the captain of salvation who's going to fight with us. He's our elder brother who's took our nature. He's going to stand before us. He's going to stand for us. He's going to stand in our place. And he's going to defeat Satan. To bring us to glory. And the apostle goes on to say these things. He describes them in fine detail in the verses that follow. And we do need lead. By our Saviour. And we have to be made willing to be led by him of course. And they have to want to follow him. And they do follow him whenever he works in them by his Holy Spirit. So Christians look to Jesus. And they believe in Jesus and they follow Jesus. Part of God's plan. That's the way it is. To bring us to glory. These ones are the ones who are believing in Jesus. The ones in his trail. The ones holding on to his coattails. Holding on to his garments. And we have to ask, are you among his sons tonight? Are you being led? That's the question. Are you led by the Father? Are you being led by the Son? Are you being led by the Spirit? These are the important questions. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they, they only are the sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit? Is the Lord leading you to glory? If God is leading you by His Christ and by His Spirit and by His Word, you will make heaven. You will arrive in glory. And you shall bless his name to all eternity. All there by the grace of God. If you're not led by the Spirit. And if Satan's leading you. Or if sin is leading you. Or if your own wicked heart is leaving you, leading you. Or if the broad road to destruction is, is leading you. You will perish. With everlasting shame. And so you have to leave the broad road and flee to Christ. If you perish, there's no glory but shame. There's no bliss but curse. If you perish, there's no joy but sorrow, everlasting sorrow. 
if you perish, there's no triumph. There's only tears. So turn. Turn today. And turn to Christ in faith. The captain of salvation. Take hold of his coattails. Take hold of Christ. And let him bring you to the heavenly rest. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved.